Queens, three amigas living in Sacramento, California, passionate to support communities of color that intersect with mental health issues. All right, welcome back. This is Nopal Queens with episode number five. We're excited to share with you our collaboration with La Gente Podcast. La Gente started with one goal in mind, to create a platform where all people of color can have a voice and where all people of color can find a community. They aim to bring on guests of all colors, of all races, and of all genders to share their narrative on La Gente podcast. They discuss topics that concern people of color in their communities, such as women in the LGBT community, and have covered topics such as immigration, young mothers, education, rape culture, and so much more. We collaborated with Ashley and Edgar from La Gente podcast to answer questions from the Latinx community regarding mental health. We hope you enjoy. Yeah, so I just want to start off with the very first um, topic that we'll, you know, dig into, um, which is toxic masculinity in POC communities. And it's pretty much how do we deal with toxic masculinity, machismo, and without disrespecting our families. And I want to really talk about this because in my episode when I was here at the podcast, um, I talked about coming out to my family recently. And my dad was is very machista, but has progressive views um when i pretty much came out to him it was very like no like that's not you like just turn off that switch and i'm like i can't like do that like that's not possible you know um and i've seen this a lot in many um other people and other folks um of you know of our heritage um i hear it a lot of uh guys just being like you know i just can never literally tell my parents I'm attracted to somebody else because of machismo. So how do we deal with that in our communities? Yeah, that's a great topic. And um, in one of our podcasts, we get into actually our last one, our most recent one, mm -hmm. we get into the subject of Latinos in mental health. And we touch upon that topic as well. So it's first, it's important to define what toxic masculinity is in this conversation, just so we know mm -hmm. what we're all talking about. Um, for us, we think that the term is used to describe a very narrow prescription of certain behaviors to define manhood. And it's unrealistic for men to live within this narrow one-size-fits-all prescription. Um, so that's where the word toxic really becomes the functioning part of that phrase. Because the toxicity lies in the acts of men um, who engage in behaviors to appear masculine and so often those behaviors are sexual or physical violence, aggression, or using the feminine identity as a measurement for how weak someone yeah. can be. So that belief system can cause a lot of stress and anxiety for all sides involved and also can result in women being victims of abuse and violence and also men who are part of the LGBTQ community to be victims of violence. Yeah. Um, so we do like to talk about this mm -hmm. because we feel like when we talk about toxic masculinity, it's <coughs> out of love for everyone and we want to make sure that our community is safe. Um, in my experience, at least, um, when you call like a parent out, a grandpa mm -hmm. out, especially a grandpa in Latinx, um, in our families, like, like for example, I remember I was like 12 or something and I called out um, my grandpa for being a sexist. Um, wow. <clears throat> And I don't know what he said to my sister or something like that. And I was like, Abuelito, you can't, you can't say that. You can't talk like that. And my mom was like, 
um, don't talk to your grandpa like that. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like don't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it calling them out um, is seen as disrespecting. Um, yeah. Yes. And <clears throat> how can we uh, like call out um, our families without uh, per se disrespecting? Because in my point of view, I didn't disrespect. I just um, I brought it to their attention how yes. um, the comment that he said to my sister was inappropriate. Gotcha. So this is La Luna, and I have similar experience with this with my dad. Um, and so it, it took a lot of work, but um, it kind of goes big, big, back to the foundations and basics of therapy or just mental health in general, and it's communication and how we're communicating. So our Latinx families, it's when we call them out, <clears throat> quote unquote, um, it's asking them to accept a vulnerability or to accept a flaw within themselves or how they were raised. And it's intergenerational. It's beliefs, culture, systems, things that have been passed down through generations. So what we feel is offensive being a more progressive group of individuals, um, they don't see it that way. So I, I really had to learn how do I communicate you know, what I'm feeling. So I, I, I would respond with the primary emotion, which is yelling, attacking, insulting, or being aggressive with my language and my words. When really my secondary emotion was saying, I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling scared. So how do I get to that secondary emotion? How do I create a space where I can be vulnerable and share with my family, hey, when you said this, dad, it really it really hurt me or really upset me because I respect you so much and I love who you are as a person that to hear you say that was really hard for me because I know that that's not who you are. Or it's basically finding a non-threatening, non-aggressive way to have a conversation. Because if we think, if someone comes at me and they're like, you this, you that, I'm yeah. like, the fuck? I'm going yeah. to be like, back, <laughs> Girl, back up. I'm going to punch you. I'm going to cut you back up. Right? And so yeah. because what happens, our body goes into fight or flight. We feel attacked. Mm-hmm. We feel vulnerable. We feel scared. And so what do we do? Logic and reason goes out the window. And we, and, oh, no, and then at that point, you no longer cultivated a safe space to engage, to receive the information and to take it in. You just created basically a war ground. And yes, I'm not saying that this is easy to do with our Latinx families because our parents can be very strong, but we have to understand what is their fear and their vulnerability and why are they being defensive towards us? I think Mm -hmm. it's a good like modeling experience for them because there's, there's a lot of times men don't have that opportunity to be vulnerable so mm-hmm. if we can model like i'm being vulnerable i'm not trying to be threatening to you i'm trying to talk to you um but this is how i'm feeling you can maybe open crack that door a little bit for them to yeah. open up into those feelings but if we come at them like uh la luna was saying they're like oh hell no like i'm gonna slam the door like yeah. that's where like yeah. more hurt happens yeah. for mm-hmm. sure and- and I think a lot of our um, our parents and our families, they don't mean to, well, I don't know, maybe. Some of them do mean <laughs> it, but some of them don't mean to be that way, right? It's a lack of education. So yeah. we could be the pioneers of change by providing non-threatening and non-aggressive education yeah. to our parents. Like I, I've had to do it multiple times with my dad when he would make homophobic comments. And I would talk to him about, hey, you know, the, dad, I love you. But some of the stuff you say is very damaging and hurtful to your kids. You know, you, um, you know, 
I love you. I love who you are as a person. I would really appreciate you and respect you a lot more if you could be, you know, a little bit more open in how you approach mm-hmm. certain topics. So my dad needed education. And to this day, he says it like I really didn't know a lot. And he had to change the way that he would approach his children. Like if my little brother put on heels and I was like, hey, it doesn't mean anything. He's exploring. He sees us do it. He grew up with mostly girls like you know, and having to provide that education for my dad made a difference and it, and it made him more susceptible to want to hear it because it wasn't threatening or attacking. And that's not always going to work. Right. But yeah. if we're all escalated, then everyone's already at a loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then um, I noticed as well how in your example, you said, I feel Instead yes. of, mm-hmm. hey, abuelito, you are. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, and it's changing that narrative. Right? Yeah. Yes. It's the very foundation of, 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 you know, when we speak to people, communication is always a foundation. And communication is, if it's not there, it's what can lead to misconceptions, to attacking, to, you know, hurt. Because there's yeah. so much there that isn't being talked about. And so it's like, how do we get focused on ourselves and express ourselves without attacking the other individual. So I messages are huge. They're like kind of mm-hmm. like the foundation yeah. of communication. Yeah. It's direct communication. Cause if not, then we're all human and we all have distorted thoughts. You're like, Oh, what did that look mean? Or like, why did they do this? <laughs> yeah. And we kind of just kind of warp what reality really mm-hmm. is as opposed to like, you, we could have just had a five minute conversation about this and we would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in the moment too, when you, um, talk to males and maybe they share something that's vulnerable, you can always reinforce that in the moment. Like, I'm so glad you shared that with me because I know my father has a little bit of an issue with that mm-hmm. and <laughs> will always go to like, but I'm fine. It's just, you know, you just keep going. And I'm like, yeah, but it's okay if we talk about it for a little bit. I really like having this conversation with you. And I think that that has helped my dad to separate a little bit from those added layers and beliefs that he has internalized. Um, so I try to go the behaviorist route <laughs> mm-hmm. and then right when I see a male doing something that's really good and anti-toxic masculinity, I try to praise, praise that a crowd right out away of and say like, that's, that's dope good. of you to that's be good. open with that. Get that yeah. labeled praise in. Yeah. <laughs> Get yeah, that labeled exactly. praise or, <laughs> or I, I do like it with, <laughs> Or I do it with my dad. Like, hey dad, thank you so much for trying. I know it's hard for you to be in the U.S. and to have to adapt or to think a certain way, but mm. gracias, Papa, like, I appreciate mm-hmm. it. And so, and yeah. then I notice that it sparks a little seed and they're like, ooh, I kind of want to keep going yeah. because my kids are proud mm-hmm. of me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's it's appreciating the little things that will later on take a bigger impact. Yeah, because yeah, men yeah. need that too. They just yeah. don't know how to articulate that. And everybody needs praise and wants to be seen and wants to mm-hmm. be appreciated. It's, it's, a, it's a foundation of who we are, but we don't always know how to say, I need this. And so instead we show it in other ways through behaviors or through, you know, behaviors that are not ideal, you know. Mm-hmm. And for parents, I, because we work with children and we just see the power of uh, parental messages every yes. day. Um, but raising children to understand that gender expression is on a spectrum, that there's no wrong or right way to express your gender um, is really helpful. So working with our youth, that the most beneficial thing we can do is just to teach them there's no right or wrong way to be a man. You can be a yeah. man if you have heels. You can be a man if you have a job or don't have the or aren't the breadwinner. You can be a man if you feel like you're a man. Yeah. And, so, and for any male yeah. identified person, too. Um, so just w- the best thing we could do for our youth is to teach them gender expression is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Or to self-identify. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like living for this answer. Like, yes, I'm just like, yes, just say snap, it, snap, say snap. it. Like, let everybody know. Hallelujah, hallelujah, yes. <laughs> Like, like what's up, Guadalupe over here? Like, oh, like, yes, this is what we needed today. <laughs> um, so oh, moving on to yes. another um, question, you know, that we got um, on Instagram. A lot of our listeners are um, first generation um, like college students, um, I myself um, and one, Me too. I yeah, um, uh, I was the us two, yeah, I was the first in my family to attend a university as well um, as Edgar and as well um, as you three, um, and being a first generation um, college student can have a lot um, of pressure um, for one because I didn't have um. A, um, anyone in my family um, who went through this, so I had um, to figure it out. Two, um, my success is the success um, of my family. Mm-hmm. So if I failed, uh, my whole family did too. Or, you know, because they would go to the family parties and be like, oh yeah, look at Ashley, she's at school, yeah. like all uh-huh. of this. Yeah. Yeah. Get it, girl? Yeah, my dad still calls yeah. me a doctor, and I was like, dad, I'm not a doctor when we <laughs> talk about this. I'm a doctor of the mind, but not yeah. a doctor that did surgery, dad. Like, come on. Yeah. It's because, I mean, I understand um, all they want is to, um, is to show you off because they're so proud of you, but again, um, it puts a lot of pressure um, to us. Um, so how do we deal with that when we feel like if we don't succeed, we're going to let our loved ones you know, yeah. Um, down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh. Well, I'll go. I, I had that similar experience where like I like all my parents told me growing up was like you're gonna go to college we're like okay that seems easy but in high school you're just like okay how do I get into college like what do I have (laughs) what do I do do I just show up and write my name (laughs) so I don't like literally like I think back of it I'm like how did I even do it how did I enable myself to go to college and then be like hey maybe I should do a master's program too yeah Yeah. I make it through all four years (laughs) yeah just just get a PhD uh, no no biggie um but I I went to college and I'm just like oh like what do I have to do here and like how do I pay and then I'm just like looking at how much it costs. I'm like, I don't want to ask my parents to pay this much to send me to school for something I'm not really sure about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like there's many times where like, do I even want to do psychology? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I even want to be? (laughs) I'm 19. What the heck am I doing? Mm -hmm. Um, and then just like, oh, just sign up for student loans. You're just like, what? What the heck? It's a trap. Yeah. Don't do it. Uh, now, on the other side, I'm like, oh, yeah, don't do it. Yeah. I always tell my clients, I'm like, don't do it. We'll find other ways. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I know there was just like maybe one person in like our family group that went to college. And I'm just like, OK, she can do it. I can do it. And it's just kind of asking like professors or asking people in the office, like, what do I do next? Like, what do I do next? Because mm-hmm. I feel like if I didn't reach out, I would have just like maybe even dropped out. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because there's like no one leading you as opposed to like where I had friends. There's like generations of college And you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot involved in the process of college. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And I think part of being first generation too is just the fact that our parents don't really understand what it is that we do. Yeah. So they think school Mm -hmm. school that it's easy. So they don't really understand the ins and outs of it. Like for the longest time I would explain to them that I was a marriage and family therapist and my dad still thinks I'm a doctor. Oh my God. I'm not a doctor. Like, come on. Because yeah. it's just, it's so, it's a world in my family that they never knew. My dad, you know, came from Mexico when he was 15. He didn't go to school. School over there was a privilege. If you had the money, you got to go. If you mm-hmm. didn't, you worked. And so mm-hmm. for my dad, it was a very vulnerable topic and a topic that he often avoided because, you know, to see his children kind of outgrow him in terms of education is probably I could imagine was very hard and embarrassing, even though he was very proud of us. It's like, dang, my kids are a lot smarter than I am. They have education. And my experience was different from La Rosa. Um, Education, not that it wasn't important in my family, but it wasn't emphasized in my family because my family was always in survival mode, you know, leaving their country, having to provide. um, And so working was a priority in our family and not that they didn't value education. That was just, the conversation. Um, so navigating that, um, I think it was also because of that, it was also kind of a gift because as all of us as first generation, you know, college students, it really showed our resiliency and our resourcefulness. It's like, if we wanted it bad enough, you bet your ass that we're going to find free money. We were going to find who to hit up, how to get there. (laughs) And along the way, along the way, yes, we, you know, had ups and downs and things didn't work out, but then we also got to be the change for the generations behind us that, you know, had access to this information because Mm -hmm. of us. So what our parents couldn't give us, we were able to give to the generations after us. Mm -hmm. And I think that the college, there's two parts of this experience. One is just really exciting when you find out that you're going to college, but two, it's often the way that families break into the middle class and beyond. And so for families who are experiencing this for the first time, it can feel like expectations and the stakes are high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I think the reality starts to set in. That's what you're talking about. The pressure mm-hmm. is because this pressure means like your family could break into a new level of income or an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And why are we working so hard? That's yeah. what it is. And so yeah. sometimes that stress is that you're carrying those um, expectations on your back. And then the other thing too is the degree path. Some families want their student to pursue the highly lucrative careers like engineering, law, medicine, all of those that require, yeah, (laughs) like (laughs) a doctor, (laughs) Uh, just, you know, completing like a high degree of commitment and completing like arduous exams. Um, All of those fields that I just mentioned, you have to have some sort of, you know, the bar or the medical, um, like the residency, all kinds of things like our our own licensing Mm -hmm. exams that we went through as therapists. Um, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the worst one. No, just, but the stress is of meeting the family expectations while also meeting the expectations of the field you chose can just really compound on each other. And then if financial support is tied like to all of this, yeah. like your family yeah. supporting you. And what I see working at a university is a lot of students find themselves between a rock and a hard place when their family doesn't agree with the degree path, but that's the only way they're going to pay for their college. So I'll pay for your college, but you have to choose the degree we want you to pick. You know, mm. we're going to pick your degree. And so that can be a lot of stress. So what I suggest, and this is coming from working at a university, is 
for all the students to at some point speak with an academic advisor about the goals and then let your school help you come up with your best degree path. Because when students have the backing of their school and recommendations for their degree uh, based on their academic advising session, that helps to leverage with family. So it's one thing to say like, yeah, dad, I really get it. I guess I could do medicine or law. But my my academic advisor told me that, you know, this path is going to be better based on my performance so far. And a lot of families see the school as an authority and do tend to fall back on what we've chosen. And I, I have worked with so many families and students and trying to explain to parents um, there's so many ways the student can go with their degree. The degree is only the beginning. So mm-hmm. let's not get too caught up on what degree they're choosing. Um, and so with that, I also mm-hmm. recommend people talk to a career counselor to explore the various paths that your degree can take you. So say you're a history major or an English mm-hmm. major or literature or, or liberal arts. Yeah. One of those fields that it can go a lot of different ways, but people don't think of it as lucrative. Yeah. Speaking with a career counselor who can tell you all the different ways that you can use your degree. Like if you have a passion for history, you can pursue research, publishing, you know, putting together educational materials, consulting, all of those things. It doesn't have to be just teaching. And so when you go back home to your family, you can help them understand that. Like, yes, mm-hmm. you, you might not know mm-hmm. about my degree, but here's all the ways that I can use it later. And even here, like I got a therapy, I mean, my parents... I was a sociology major. Like, well, what are you going to do yeah. with that? Yeah. <laughs> and here I am, you know, like I have a really great career and as a therapist and also as um, a crisis um, support person at a local university. And now when I'm doing that, they're starting to understand, oh, wow, you could do so much with their degree. Mm-hmm. So we also have to help teach our families. The literal name of our degree does not choose our path. It's mm-hmm. us. That's going to is how we apply it and use it. That's going to help. And I found in my family that's helped them to be more at peace with the fact that I chose sociology and counseling as my career. Yeah. Mm. And just remembering that as, as you know, children, um, um, you know, it's part of like kind of our role to educate our parents if they don't have access to all of that. So a lot of times I have to educate my dad on different aspects of my career and my field because they really don't know. So it's not it's not ignorance because they chose it. It's just they, how could they know those weren't the experience or the privilege that they had. Um, and so really kind of providing a space to have these conversations. And I mean, also if you feel safe in your capacities, one of the main things I I noticed from this conversation is, well, how do we tell them how we're feeling? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I would tell my dad, you know, I had conversations with my dad about how proud I was to be his child and how, you know, I would give anything to give him his American dream and talking about, you know, how hard that was and how scary it was and allowing myself to be vulnerable with my dad and my mom really changed the way that they viewed my education because they didn't realize how much pressure and I use metaphors and I use ways to connect it. Like dad, when you came at 15, I bet you, you had the whole world on your shoulders because you were financially responsible for 12 siblings back home, you know, that you had to sponsor to bring to the U S I imagine that was terrifying and hard well that's kind of how I feel carrying the weight of education on my shoulders and knowing that I could possibly be your future or your ticket to retirement or this and that and so when I started finding ways to connect it to my dad's experience it kind of clicked for him and he was like oh wow like I didn't know that that's how it felt for you or 
And I know that that's, that was the pressure. And so finding ways to join and connect with your parents could, could make a difference. Also, if you feel safe to do it, because I don't want to encourage people to have conversations with their parents if they don't feel like they would be in a safe yeah. space for it. I wish I would have known that when I was in college. <laughs> yeah. Also, that was shit we learned later on. Yeah. We yeah. didn't learn none of this shit in college. We had to learn it through life. Oh, like, it was a very life is our education. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my advice, I think, for college students now, given that we were all once college students, um, seek community of choice, right? Family of choice, community of choice. Don't isolate and cut off your family because they're still Latinos are embedded and we still need our families regardless of how we may feel towards them. But if you have opportunities to engage on campus and to join, you know, clubs or community or people that identify the way you identify, that could also be healing in itself to mm -hmm. get resources, to have information, to have people that you feel supported by, but also still continuing to work and grow on how to incorporate your own family you know your blood family because we need a little bit of both to kind of find that balance yeah that's good um moving on to the next question um it's very interesting because it you know it says how is mental health different from poc than those that are non-pocs and i think this is very interesting because a lot of the times i hear people kind of joke about it with like oh you know why people always go get a therapist like they're always there with them and i I see it in movies. I see it in TV shows. There's often like a non-POC just sitting in an off, um, you know, yeah, like at an office with the with a therapist. Usually, it's like a scary movie or something, and they're like, "Yeah, like I'm paying so much for my therapist," or like blah blah blah. And like you just you don't really see that in um, movies where there's POCs in it. Mm -hmm. So how is it different from you know these perspectives? Well, there's a lot of research that supports the idea that mental health impacts all communities pretty equally. So just as any part of our body across the populations can get sick, so can our brains. So the prevalence of mental health is actually no different in communities of color, but where the difference lies is in the access to services and then understanding what's going on in our brains and bodies. That's where the difference really lies. And um, so... Because our communities tend to have less access to treatment, mm -hmm. it tends to lead to more severe or persistent issues. Mm -hmm. So in our community in particular, we may not have had the education to recognize symptoms or words to describe our challenges or in a way that our doctors would understand us, mm -hmm. right? And so um, for that reason, uh, NAMI, if you're familiar with NAMI, it's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They state that only 10% of Latinx people actually follow through yeah. on seeking help. And so that's a really low number. And it's painful. Yeah, even though the prevalence is yeah. pretty equal in our community. And I think we're on the other side now and mm -hmm. we see it with the families that we treat. You're just like, oh man, so many families would benefit from this. Especially I work a lot with families. Um, I'm just like, if they just had a safe place to talk about their feelings, having someone mediate mm -hmm. a conversation, someone to yeah. say like, those anxieties are normal. Like yeah. you have had a lot of trauma in your life and this is why you're responding this way. This is why your mind is going this way. Um, just giving them psychoeducation is huge. Yeah. Um, One of our podcasts, yeah. we actually mm -hmm. talk about this. Yeah, definitely. Right? And how the, the access to treatment has really impacted the outcomes of how severe some of our symptoms can be or become. But also that yeah. we've lent, we sometimes will lean on uh, and this is actually from our one of our podcasts that we covered, <laughs> yes. but we 
we were talking about how some people start to lean on their faith community mm. or friends and family, but then on the other side, they can lean on alcoholism, which is really oh prevalent God, in yeah. Latinx communities, right? Um, or drugs or other things like that. And mm -hmm. so it can go either way, but the access is definitely something that makes our experience different. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with um, using like holistic forms right. and things like that, but that's also why like as Nopal Queens, a lot of um, Latinx therapists in the community, um, you know, specialize in um holistic healing as well as therapy mm -hmm. so that you have your the cultural competency and you also have the facts in the information what's physically going on with your body so that that's a, a powerful thing because mm -hmm. you are um creating cultivating a space that fits that individual's needs so if they're faith-based if they're holistic based and how do we incorporate incorporate that into your experiencing your evolution and how can we support you with your presenting issues or with your challenges? I think it's also hard maybe going to like a clinic or a therapist's oh, office yeah. Yeah. and it's someone from a different culture and you're like, yes. are you even going to understand my experience? I had that experience and I know I shared it in our podcast where I went to a therapist and I was like telling her all this family drama yeah. and she's <laughs> like, well, just stop talking to them. Just cut yeah. them out. You don't oh, need no. them. I'm like, you don't. You don't it. understand. We're yeah. like, we're like, we're like next. That's not an option. Uh, that's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, and it, that's not gonna It's work. a growing field, and I think as more Latinx people are going to college and seeing mm -hmm. that there's more opportunities, we're kind of penetrating this uh, like professional fields. But it's gonna take a while to kind of really see a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it pretty much this question lays the foundation of why Nopal Queens exist. Yeah. <laughs> because one of the ways that we can tackle that is to talk openly about our mental health and educate our community and talk about symptoms and impact and options for treatment, both clinical and non-clinical. Mm -hmm. And if it's of comfort to anyone, the in our therapy world, our journey to licensure includes a lot of cultural competency yes. and a ton of education on um, incorporating not only what you learn clinically and professionally, but incorporating whatever the client's bringing to the table for their own treatment options. So you want to always incorporate both. So if the therapist is well-trained, they're going to actually honor both all kinds of modalities that you've brought to the table mm -hmm. and try to fit, you know, see where they will fit into your treatment plan. Um, but I love this question because Nopal Queens is reclaiming the narrative over mental health mm -hmm. for communities through our conversation. So mm -hmm. this is one of my favorite questions today. Yeah, um, it was also a favorite of mine. Um, I started to listen to um, your podcast after... Uh, we followed you on social media. I was like, "Ooh, this is interesting because it's not something I have seen, and it's 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 maybe because I didn't uh, search for it, um, you know, because I'm mm -hmm. sure there's um, some other ones out there too. But mm -hmm. to be specific, you know, to um, our community uh, and our needs, um, as you mentioned, like with your experience um, in a therapist and how she didn't. Um, understand your culture and your background and things like mm -hmm. that it's very important to have um other re um representation um in yes. all fields um we talk about it a lot how representation is so important um yeah. in the media because it is what we see but mm -hmm. it's also important um in these fields like um in mental health um in lawyer fields and the doctors are also like 
um, in anything, you know, yeah. that you do. We need um, that representation because yeah. we need to um, to talk to talk um, and communicate um, and understand, you know, that um, other people are going through this and we need mm -hmm. to understand other people and things like that. So uh, representation is needed across yeah. all boards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also shout out to um, La Gente Podcast to you guys because you guys um, are cultivating a space for representation, you know, um, Thank you. and you're supporting us and building a community. And mm -hmm. when we're united, we are a lot more powerful than we were when we're alone. Absolutely. And so like you guys also cultivated that for 2019 by reaching out to us and, you know, giving us the privilege to appear on your podcast and to creating a space where we can grow together, we can succeed together, and we are all fighting for the same thing. So yeah. it's a beautiful thing that we are able to work together. So yeah. at least for me, La Luna, thank you for creating the space for us to be a part of this movement. Yeah, um, thank you for that. Like, it's all about um, the collaboration. Like, there's no mm -hmm. competition. It's yes. all the collaboration. Like, let's push each other up. Like, the representation is important. So as many people as we can get, no matter if we're doing the same thing, I don't care. Like, we need more people like this because mm -hmm. um, there might be some people out there uh, who like my voice and there might be some people out there who hate my voice, but yeah. uh, they like yours, yeah. you know? But they can so, unclick uh, and unfollow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Gotta be a little salty. But you also have to think about like how many non-POC podcasts there are compared oh, to there's yeah. small, oh, yeah. small there's like almost none. There's hella. Yeah. If you go on Stitcher, on Apple, there's like... <laughs> Another one, another one, another one. And you're like, where like, are the people of color at? Yeah. Trying to bring each other down. We should be exactly. building each other exactly. Up. Yes. Exactly. I agree. Um, We're all 100%. about love and community. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, thank you again for yeah. um, agreeing um, to come on um, and to discuss these topics. Um, another um, question I thought about um, was um, how can we help? Um, a friend who is dealing with some mental health issues is it best to keep on reaching out or should we let them um, like be for some time like what is the best approach or does it vary depending on the person that's a very complex question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do our best <laughs> I think it's the reality is like we are complex people we're not like just like cover and we're just like oh you're sad let me help you do this <laughs> and so there's so many layers to it there's no um, flow chart to yeah. your friend yeah <laughs> i think being a support is awesome and hearing is great but then you also have to know that you have to have healthy boundaries and you're like mm -hmm. i can't fix this person i can't like mm -hmm. try to find the source of their pain or try to fix their pain we can just be in support and like man that sounds really tough like and kind of brainstorm, like, do you think you need to see a therapist? Do you think you need to see a doctor? Kind of referring them to different professionals or someone who can help them guide a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe a school professional, mm -hmm. different ways. Some of my go-to for whenever somebody's really going through something is I always try to thank people for telling me what's going on mm -hmm. and then just try to listen. I don't know that we listen a lot. We might what we do or can tend to do is listen, but we're also at the very same time forming our magic bullet statement. Like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to say something to you that's going to completely turn things around yeah, and then no. you're going to get all this wisdom from me and then I'm going to help you. Yeah. Like we put a lot on ourselves in our, what we're going to say back to people who are going through it. 
um, but really what our job is to just listen because that's what they mm-hmm. need. And if you think about a time when you've tried to talk to someone and they had these long winded responses back to you or try to tell you the best thing to do. And that's not really yeah. what you, you were appreciative, but it wasn't what you needed. Yeah. Um, so we always need to be mindful that sometimes we just need to be heard. I don't know that we yeah. hear each other mm-hmm. enough yeah. and just say, thank you. Like, thank you yeah. for telling me. And then the next thing is where the healthy boundaries come in is how can I support you mm-hmm. and not defining how they might need support. Even yeah. if you might actually kind of know, or, you know, sometimes we just need letting something. them choose. Yeah, that our friend doesn't see just yet. But at that moment, it's just about thank mm-hmm. you so much for telling me. I'm glad I got to listen. What can yeah. I do? What can I do for you right now? And maybe it's nothing. Maybe your friend just really needed to talk. Yeah. And, have and that is listen. in itself something. And that is in itself something. Yeah, exactly. I had oh, like times like that where like I'm telling someone and they're like, all right, this is how we're this is what you have to do. This is what yeah. you have to do. Like, <laughs> yeah. no. it's like you know, what? I, I just want to go home. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's overwhelming. So it's it's pumping the brakes and not. And giving yourself permission to not be the savior because they're not mm-hmm. asking you to save them. They're asking you to be present with them in their pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and that's a vulnerability for a lot of us because it's not embedded in us to be comfortable with pain. It's something we want to push away or tissue push. Here's a tissue. Please stop crying. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of letting people feel. Yeah. And so saying, you know, I'm really sorry you're going through that. Like, it sounds really rough. Thank you for trusting me. Um, thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, or even if you notice your friend's been down lately or maybe just sending a text like, hey, um, just sending you love. I notice you've been kind of down lately. I'm here if you need anything. Even mm-hmm. just small little messages to let them know that you're present. Um, and also, I think when people are sharing their experience, being careful to not be like, oh, I went through the same thing or, oh, yeah. you know, because then it's kind of invalidating them and yeah. it's going back to you and you're important. And then it gives a message that they're not important. Yeah. Um, and one. silence is not always a bad thing. And I yeah. think as therapists, we know that. Um, and there's times where I thought I didn't do shit in therapy. <laughs> and I, I realized like <laughs> all they needed was to have someone that genuinely listened. And sometimes we have our own agenda of how we need to save or help. And it's not about us. It's never going to be about us. It's how can I be present for them? And how can Mm -hmm. I listen with not just to respond, but listen to be genuine and to be truly present with that emotion and what they're experiencing in the room in that moment. Yeah, making space for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, I guess it's being like understanding the difference and being empathetic and being sympathetic, right? Yeah. You you know what what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes and knowing what it's like to just not be in that situation, but still understanding and being like, yeah, your, your feelings are valid and you're, I'm here with you. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's not your job to have that magic wand Mm -hmm. statement. Yeah. That this is this is new to you, but it's not do, new to that person. That person has already been doing work in their head 24-7 around this. Yeah. They just need to get it out. Yeah. And that you could do the best by the silence and the listening and the thinking. Yeah. You don't, And that in itself can be just as effective as you trying to find the perfect response. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. kind of like a, a, like a golden rule that I use just in general when I'm working with clients is when I think about sharing an inform- information or a comment, I ask myself, am I sharing this comment or information to help them or to help myself? Mm. Oh. So is it because I want to make myself feel good because I want to pat myself on the back and yeah. give myself a gold star? If that that's where I'm at and you know then I wouldn't ask it or I wouldn't give that comment because it's not for them it's for you Mm -hmm. I think something to keep in mind is also warning signs of suicidality Mm -hmm. I know that's something that like people don't want to talk about and kind of avoid like Ooh, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. You'll the reality. So like (laughs) no depression is real, suicide thoughts are real. Um and knowing just um 
I'm just like wondering, like, how can we educate the general population more about warning signs or mm-hmm. at-risk people yeah. or people isolating yeah. themselves or like losing hope? Yeah. Do right. they have a plan? How do you? Right. Yeah. I know for us, we do a lot of safety planning. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> take all the meds out, take yeah. all the sharps out. Mm-hmm. Do you but have a plan? But this is information not everyone yeah. knows. Exactly. I think kind but of some like warning signs. Yeah, I think some general are like if you have friends that are like trying to give away stuff and they're like non responding and they're kind of going off the grid, you know, mm-hmm. having someone do like a sh- safety check, just go and check on them or call mm-hmm. them up, text them, say, hey, I noticed that you've been kind of off lately. Are you okay? Like, is there something I can do for you? Or, you know, sometimes if you're close enough and they're family friends, maybe, you know, this, it depends on the situation. Like we're saying it's so complex, but if they have family that's safe for them, that they're close with, maybe in that you're close to saying, Hey, I'm worried about your sister or I'm worried about your kid. Like they're kind of isolating. Um, but again, it's like, you kind of have to use your best judgment because we can't, um, kind of predict every scenario. Um, but generally it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. isolation, giving away items or posting. Sometimes people post very, um, common themes on their social media like they're constantly mm-hmm. putting putting mm-hmm. quotes about depression or being invisible or nobody caring about them or they're outright saying i want to die like a lot mm-hmm. of our teens do this um so it's really it's a cry for help and it means that there's some type of attention and it's serving some type of purpose so there's only so much you can do within the capacity mm-hmm. of a friend but just say hey you know, I'm noticing some stuff you're posting, just letting you know I love you and I'm here for you. It seems mm-hmm. like you're going through a rough time if I can help. But not taking it mm-hmm. on to say, oh, I have to call 911. It's like, here's or, a text line. Here's yeah. a text line just in case you need it. Yeah. Go mm-hmm. to your doctor. Yeah. yeah. And asking about suicide does not increase suicide. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's okay to actually mm-hmm. say, wow, you've been going through a lot. I, I could understand how stressful in any of this, have you experienced thoughts of hurting yourself at all? Mm -hmm. And I have asked my loved ones that before when they seem to have not been able to get up out, uh, like back to their normal functioning. And so that question tends to be one, it will shock the person hearing it. Yes. Because if they hear it out loud, like, have you thought about killing yourself? It it will either pop kind of a, like burst a bubble that might've been forming and like, Whoa, when you say it out loud, I don't know that I, I don't know that that's really back to reality sometimes. Or if they truly have been thinking about it, I will usually get a response like, yeah, I actually have been thinking about it. And I would just go from there, you know, just say, wow, if you want to talk about it, or here's the line that I can text you a line. Or you can can also help them identify a safe person in their family or someone that could help them just like, oh, I'm wondering if there's anyone in your family that you feel safe with that maybe we can talk to. And just knowing that it's not on you. You're, Mm -hmm. if you happen to be there in the moment with them, you're just supporting them and brainstorming, but you don't have to give them the answers and you're not responsible for the outcome. Right. That's the biggest part to, I love that. Mm -hmm. So I actually have, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of a question. I know mm-hmm. that mental health almost always goes into, into like suicide and um, depression. But what are some other mental health issues that we see, at least in our Latinx community, that we don't usually talk about? Like maybe anxiety. Like I feel like I get anxious, but I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what that feels uh. like. So, you know, what are these terms and how do we know <laughs> we're experiencing them? So I, I've learned it with Latinx families when I'm working with them, they love storytelling. So let them tell Mm -hmm. you a story, let them tell you a story about what they experienced because sometimes they say, Oh, es que siento que mi corazón se me va 
caer o me, me pongo bien muerto. Ajá, me pongo nerviosa empiezo a sudar no puedo respirar and they're physically explaining to you in yeah. a story what somatic their symptoms. somatic yeah. symptoms mm -hmm. and then you support them by providing them with language oh eso es nervioso es ansiedad like oh. these are the things that you know so you mm -hmm. let them tell you the story first and then you support um, but in the context of like you know obviously us we mm -hmm. do that because we're mental health professionals yeah. but when you're with around family and friends kind of hearing hearing their narrative about what they're experiencing could kind of help you piece together what are what are the symptoms yeah oh, okay. and then we have like a huge textbook full of different diagnoses oh, that yeah. we're supposed <laughs> to know <laughs> <laughs> so there's like anxiety there's trauma disorders there's personality yeah. disorders mm -hmm. there's uh psychosis schizophrenia um so many different categories and you can it's basically putting a label to your behaviors yeah. and what yeah. you're feeling. So you, everyone falls on the spectrum of mental health. Like there's mental wellness and then there's times where you're impaired mm -hmm. and sometimes that's longer than other people. So one, mm -hmm. and then we decide like, when is it in the clinical range? When do you yeah. need some extra support to get you back to, um, some like sort of wellness. Yeah. Like, yeah. or your n yeah. normal, like level of functioning, like what is normal and functioning for you? Yeah. I and would say changes. also, and this is, I just want to briefly mention mm -hmm. this, but there, please feel free to read more about this. But, um, some of my Latinx community members have the hardest time understanding schizophrenia oh, and yeah. the early mm. signs because sometimes it's paranoia. Mm. And so you can, and all my family say the same thing. Like they're just acting a little bit off. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it is, but when mm -hmm. I hear the person, they have like ideas of grandiosity. They think they're going to be the next Messiah. They think that somebody is purposely recording them wherever they go. And these things mm -hmm. can be really alarming to family, but sometimes they don't know that could be like uh, early prodromal stages of schizophrenia. Those uh, like schizophrenia, borderline personality and PTSD, I think are some of the more complex diagnoses that we have to spend a lot of time helping our families understand. Yeah, and so, like complex. I said, looking, yeah, look more into it, on your, yeah. or seek out. You know, NAMI has a lot of support groups for families who are experiencing mm -hmm. this, and I would say family support groups can also be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think psychotic breaks happen a lot with younger yeah. men, especially yes. that demographic. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a whole world of mental health. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, on that note. Um, you know, in the POC um, communities, a lot, as far as here um, in San Diego, at least, a lot of the neighborhoods where they're uh, POC uh, majority are um, are low income. So how does uh, the financial um, burden, you know, um, play a role into um, the mental health? Well, if you have Medi-Cal, you can receive, I think it, does it depend by county or mm -hmm. is it? So you just contact Medi-Cal if you're in California, mm -hmm. uh, if you're in another state. It's Medicare. Uh, Medicare, I guess. Mm -hmm. You contact them and they, you can, they'll send you a referral somewhere and the yeah. insurance should pay for it that way. And if you happen to be undocumented, which a lot of our Latinx communities tend to be, um, there's different resources that, you know, can be accessed even if you are, um, if you're not, um, if you're undocumented. Um, so therapy, unfortunately, can be difficult to obtain with 
when people have lower incomes, but there are definitely a lot of agencies that provide um, free services, sliding scale services. So I happen to work for an agency that does provide free services. Um, I don't have specific agencies in mind just because we're based out of Sacramento. So I mm-hmm. don't know where everyone is geographically, um, but usually family resource centers or typing in counseling online, um, you'll be able to see on there if they have sliding scale, um, if they take insurance. Um, also, I think it's Latinx therapy recently um, put a list together of uh, mental health providers in certain states. So um, if you guys check out their website, I think it's latinxtherapy.com. They have some providers listed on there. Also, Psychology Today um, is a good resource, too. It has a bunch of mental health providers that you can do age, race, ethnicity, um, uh, zip code, and it it's kind of has their bios, their pictures, like how, what they specialize in, how many years, um, what insurances they take or what sliding scale and what sliding scale is, is basically they look into your income and they decide a reasonable fee that you could pay based on your income. So some families could pay as little as like $5, some 20, some 30, some 40, depending on what your income allows you to be able to pay. And for college students, um, a lot of them have, um, a lot of universities and community colleges have wellness centers, student support centers where you could go and receive counseling services or they can support in providing referrals for counseling. Um, And then for high school students, um, because mental health is becoming such a huge thing among high school students, they usually have social workers or therapists staffed there where they can do brief check-ins or brief therapy or- group therapies. There's a lot of group services in high schools, or um, they should be able to be equipped in providing referrals out and they'll know like local agencies and resource centers. Um, And there's another one for employers. Um, Not everyone offers this. So you would definitely would have to check with your HR and see what services they offer. But some of them um, offer EAP, which is employee assistance programs that offer like, um, therapy like 12 sessions or short-term therapy for certain issues so like depression anxiety or even work-related issues um and it's usually short-term and it's covered um by your work through like the insurance that your work provides so if you are in a privileged place where um you know you have um, benefits and stuff with your employer you could probably look into see if they offer um eap services where you can get free therapy and your local NAMI group will have lots mm-hmm. of group therapy and recovery options. Yes. What's NAMI? The National Alliance on Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. And it's an online database. So you can yeah. search a zip code and there's a bunch of information on there as well of local areas that you can seek services and support. Mm-hmm. Those are all free. Mm-hmm. Google is a great best friend. Yes. Like say, Google it loca. I know. I was going to say. Like, oh. <laughs> Shout out to them. <laughs> Thank you all um, for coming on. Um, I did learn a lot, and I'm sure that um, our audience is going um, to learn a lot. But um, is where can we find you? Like on social media, uh, um, on your website. You can find oh. us on Nopal Queen's podcast on yes. Instagram. Yeah. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Where you should be able to access us on any podcast uh, hosting sites. Yeah, because we're on, mm-hmm. on Stitcher, on Apple, Spotify. Are we on Spotify yet? Um, soon. Soon. We Ooh. are, we are on Google. Um, and then we also are on Podbean, which is like a, like a website app. We're also on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, you can just Google our name and you will find us. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I think That's we're good. the only Nopal queens out yeah. there. Yeah. 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 Queens with the W 
K-W-E-E-N-Z. Queens. Yes. And yes. Because people will look for us and like, I can't find you. And they're like, are you spelling it Q-U-E-E-N? And they're like, oh, yeah. Special <laughs> immunity. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll add um, your handle um, in the show notes as well as um, the resources um, that you mentioned. I'll add all of that um, in the show notes so um, yeah. our audience cool. um, and your audience um, could find it. I do want to ask one more thing, just like as a takeaway. No, too um, late. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, You're like, really? Shut down. <laughs> Go what ahead, would, Edgar. Uh, what would, thank you. Thank you. What would you guys say it's one of your, one of the takeaways that our listeners should take from this mental health ish, um, topic? Um, yeah. What, it, what do you think? I want one from each one of you. So okay. three, three different takeaways. So I think the first takeaway is that mental health uh, can happen in any community. Our community tends to have less of an understanding. And so just being uh, open and educating yourself more so that you have an equal opportunity to work through some of the challenges that other people also have the opportunity to work through with resources and support that we all in our Latinx community deserve the same support Mm -hmm. and we deserve the same opportunity Mm -hmm. to have a healthy life. Um, and so please tap into that empowerment and and get yourself educated so that you have the same opportunities anyone else does. <coughs> mm-hmm. Thanks, Lucirena. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is La Rosa. I would say reach out if you're going through something. Mm-hmm. Talk to someone. Uh, you don't have to share everything, but you can say, like, I'm going through it. Um, and just asking for support, whether it's someone at school, work, in the community. Um, cause we don't want to, su- we don't want people to suffer by themselves because yeah. that's how things deteriorate and get worse. So reaching out, finding support is huge. And this is La Luna. So my takeaway would be kind of piggybacking off of La Rosa. If you do notice yourself that you see your friends or them declining emotionally or physically, or you see them going through things, reach out to them too. Um, we don't always want to ex- create an expectation that the people that are in pain, that they have to be the only ones that reach out. We can also reach out and be a support. And also understanding that mental health is a journey and it's a process. So if you do decide to seek services or to seek therapy or counseling, um, you know, give yourself permission to um, kind of jump on the journey and know that it might take a while to find a clinician that you feel comfortable with so you don't have to tell them everything and disclose your whole life um you know give them bits and pieces of maybe what you're currently going through and see if they fit for you so kind of when you're um in the process of finding a therapist it's kind of like shopping so you have to find yeah or dating dating. (laughs) yeah you're like swipe left ooh, swipe right never again block so you know find a therapist that connects with you and sometimes our latinx community they don't know that they have rights when they go to therapy they think that they just have to work with you because that's Mm -hmm. who they got or they don't have choices no you always have a choice if a clinician doesn't work for you if you don't fit connection and therapeutic relationship is a foundation if it's not there swipe left and keep going and say okay thank you for your time thank i would you like next. to you know yeah thank yeah. you next <laughs> and keep looking so don't just settle and it, and also know that latinx therapists are out there we are coming we are here um you know we're hoping that our field will grow more with representation so have patience some of us are hiding but if you find <laughs> us great and if not then search around and find maybe other POC providers that understand your culture, align, or even 
a white therapist that is making attempts to understand and has done their education mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not harmful to you. So just, in, you know, go through the process and give yourself permission to swipe and say no. Snap, snap, was, snap. Yeah. <laughs> that was very powerful. I felt that. And fiend. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you again um, for coming on. And if you would like to um, reach out to them, you can um, do so um, on Instagram. Just send them a DM if you want to hear more um, and follow them um, on social media um, and their podcast. Their podcast is great and it has a lot of information, a lot of knowledge for us in the POC uh, um, communities. Um, thank you again um, for thank coming. You, thank you so much. Thank you. It was such Thanks an honor to us. have you guys. Yeah. To um, have you all First folks. collab for us of 2019. Yeah. Um, hey. Us too. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone, continue listening to La Gente Podcast. Yeah. They are amazing. Yes. So. Um, thank you. Um, listen plug. to all of us um, <laughs> online. Yeah. Yes. Binge listen to all of us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you again. Um, and thanks um, uh, for listening. If you are, um, um, follow us on social media. We are um, on Instagram, on Twitter, and um, on Facebook. And you can listen to us on Spotify, on iTunes, and um, on Google Play. Um, thank you again. Thank you all. Bye. 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 All right. That was our interview with La Gente Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well as follow La Gente Podcast. Also tune in to all of our episodes and share with a friend. All right. Adios, amigos. Bye. Bye.